iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? In general, it's, that's kind of how most of the cars look today. And we find it so interesting now. We eliminate the engine, but the architecture stayed the same. People have a pretty determined view of what a car needs to look like and obviously over the next couple of years that will change hello and welcome to danny in the valley your weekly dispatch from deep inside the silicon valley future machine this week we are once again outside the valley and on location in los angeles well okay so actually i'm not there either i'm in london I uh, came here for Founders Forum, which is fantastic, meeting lots of super interesting British entrepreneurs. Maybe we'll even have uh, one or two on the podcast coming up. But you may remember that a couple weeks ago, I spent some time with the guys from Beyond Meat, who of course are in LA. And on that same trip, I met a super interesting company with a super weird name. It's called E-Velocity. Velocity. It's kind of a weird spelling. You've probably never heard of them, but they have some very, very big plans. It's an electric car company. It's founded by Stefan Krauss, who's the former finance director for many years of BMW. He was also the former CFO of Deutsche Bank during the financial crisis. And he's a pretty cool cat. And he has raised a billion dollars, one billion dollars, to build an electric car company. Well, really, to build the company and cars, actually several cars, from scratch, from ground up. And the idea is that because electric cars don't have an internal combustion engine, obviously, they can be completely reconceived. So what's interesting is that if you think of, say, a Tesla, it looks like any other kind of cool sports car. But what Krauss wants to do is to take advantage of the fact that an electric car is effectively just a flat skateboard of batteries along the bottom, four wheels. And then on top of that, you can plop some completely rethought, very spacious configurations. So if you think about something that is um, has the footprint of, say, a VW Golf, but has the space of a Suburban, that kind of gives you uh, a sense of what they're talking about. So anyhow, it's pretty cool idea, pretty far out there. And Stefan and I actually, I came across him because we met at a party, actually. And he just started telling me about what he was up to. And I said, you must come on the pod and tell the world about what you're doing. So that's what we did. I flew down to LA, drove my little rented Ford Focus to a pretty nondescript warehouse in El Segundo. And I wasn't even sure I was in the right place until I saw a big piece of rusty sheet metal leaned up against a, a wall outside the front door and had e-velocity spray painted in orange across it so they had just moved in they'd had a painting party that weekend so the whole place still smelled like paint the warehouse 
part of it is just full of exposed pipes hanging down and all kind of weird fixtures and everything. It kind of looks like it's something out of Terminator 2. But anyway, before I sat down with Stefan, I took a little tour of the building and I met Richard Kim. And he's the head designer who's developing the first E-Velocity vehicle. And he took me into a gleaming white room where inside I saw a life-size foam mock-up of what their first car looks like. And I even got to sit inside and get a feel for it. So, yeah, so you, as you know, we, we just got here. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very challenging because we're cooking the meal and building the kitchen at the same time. Right. <laughs> this actually got damaged in shipping. I was going to say that didn't yeah. look like it's... Um, yeah, it got damaged in shipping. If but, that's the actual design, you guys have big problems. <laughs> yeah, we do, exactly. <laughs> um, so even though this has a very like homemade quality to it. All the lines and the sections are very precise. In a more established studio, this would be made out of all like laser cut stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> What's cool about this immediately is you see a huge space and you imagine this yeah. is like a Airstream trailer or something. The footprint of this car is only a little bit bigger than a Golf. And that is because basically you don't need a the internal combustion engine taking up all that room. Yeah, yeah. What we try to do is make this feel more like a little living room where you don't have that mindset. You you would kick your leg up and you, you, know, you just kind of take up the whole thing. We're trying to change the thinking behind carness. Now, I can't tell you what the car looks like because the condition of them showing me the car was that I agreed not to reveal any details of its designs. But suffice to say, it's about as far away from a Tesla as you can get. So anyhow, after I checked that out, I wound my way back to Stefan's office and we had a really interesting conversation. We talked about the 100 year history of the internal combustion engine and the car now, how it is today, why that is about to change, why he thinks E-Velocity will be one of the new big brands of this new car that is rising up to change how we think about transport and how we all get around. So. I hope you enjoy it. I think it's a really interesting conversation, and I think I'll just stop talking now and let him talk. So without further ado, here's Stefan. In my view, you know, the, today's cars basically have the same architecture than we had with the horse carriages. You know, the horses in the front, the passengers in the middle, and then the trunk in the back, and it's only accessible from outside, not from the passenger cabin. And there's exceptions, I, I admit, you know, a Volkswagen Beetle has the engine in the back and things like that. But in, in general, that's, that's kind of how most of the cars look today. And we find it so interesting now, we eliminate the engine, but the architecture stayed the same. You see in so many of these new electric cars, obviously people don't know what to do with the space in the front. So there's sometimes some small luggage compartment thing or why do you open a bonnet for example there's nothing there access right. to it. there's nothing containing so, so right we believe that the the car world will now move on and understand the benefit of the electric platform is it's all flat it's all in the floor you can put everything in the floor and once we go to drive by wire there will even not be a steering column yeah, so the idea is put all the technology skateboard, yeah, and we call it, it a skateboard it's just put all the battery all the technology in the bottom of the car the four wheels and a flat chassis that's it now you have so much room now the only thing you have to still consider you of course very important to us the safety of our drivers and, and passengers. So you have to build still a crumble zone, but this crumble zone also now doesn't have to deal with a heavy engine 
in a frontal crash situation that has to move out and not intrude into the passenger cabin zone. So you can build a very different crumble zone that can be even much safer than in a combustion engine car because you don't have all this heavy stuff going right. into the into the crash zone. But otherwise, you're pretty free to use this space in a much better way. So you can have a car that has a much smaller footprint overall and has an extremely big space inside. And especially look in the ride-hailing world, you're the paying customer and you sit in the back seat. And that's, I know from my comment, it's the worst seat. It's the seat where we always save costs. And that's what we want to, of course, change, right? If you go to New York Taxi, look at the floor space it uses, the road space it uses versus your leg room. And you're the paying customer. So it kind of makes no sense. So that's what we're trying to explore. How can we provide a better overall space experience, especially when the car goes then self-driving where you will have more time to do other things, yeah? And just create on a smaller footprint, just a much more better overall interior space and right. utilization. And we see people living in their vehicles and using them as their often, using as their meeting room and all of this that will be future use while you commute and or while Actually you drive. Actually living in their cars. Yeah, living. You know, don't forget the VW bus from the 65s, for which I have one <laughs> and, and love so much. You have a VW was bus? Yeah, yeah, a VW bus. Because at the end of the day, it was the best combustion engine that kind of had these ideas. You know, at that time, of course, crash test was not a problem. Well, it was a problem. So but sitting on top of the so you sit on, on top of the no, you sit on top of the front wheels, in front right. of the front wheels actually, and the engine was all the way in the back. But I think there was a the best car. We also tried to put everything down in the floor. The principle too. then is that basically, if you can rip out how many moving parts are in there in a normal internal combustion engine, something like a thousand, a few thousand pieces, yes. In an electric car, uh, there's less. There's like ten or something. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a huge components. Right? Yes, there's a huge difference. So say a Tesla. This looks like a kind of a cool-looking normal car. Yes. But a, but a, you could do something entirely different, which different. is what you guys are yes. talking about. Yes, exactly. Because the Tesla still looks like a combustion engine car. And I think they've done a great job for our world. So I was going to say, I'm, so I'm what, big, what, I'm big fan. Yeah, so. but, but probably in, in their point, from their point of view, maybe it would have been too much to change the car to electric and change the way how cars look. Because people have a pretty determined view of what a car needs to look like and obviously over the next couple of years that will change so from their perspective i think it was the right decision to go with a good looking car and make step one which is to change to an electric propulsion system and prove the point that this is doable and so the idea is you have these the one skateboard that is going to be the basis for every car you have yes and then you're going to have, is it three different, is it called top hats? Yeah, that top you basically hats, just cabins, drop on top of there top for of different, roots, yes. different yes. uses. And yes. what are those different uses? What we did is we just sat down and think in a mega city of the future, which is our target market, what's the most likely use for cars? The first one, obviously, is the ride hailing will be more popular. And especially with the space concept, you can offer now the paying customer a more adequate way to travel. The second view was as more and more goods are moving from physical purchase and physical purchase locations and stores to internet delivery, this delivery competition is going to increase. And in our view, the 
last mile delivery is the key to decrease your delivery time and that's where the competition is going to be around we used to be willing to wait for a week until yeah. something was delivered and then it was three days and and now it's one day and, and for sure it's going to be drones. like an hour we, we don't think it's only only going to be cars that are going to do it but a drone and a washing machine may not be the, the work right <laughs> right quite so, so of course you know you know if, if, if i don't know maybe if washman's feet are flying around then <laughs> there may be a different issue but so there are certain goods that still will need a vehicle and we believe that this last mile delivery with an electric car is the best way to go because then you don't have this truck that today goes 20 homes right and that's why you gotta wait but you go out directly to, to homes and, and the vehicle can charge very quickly and that's the type to deliver. Similarly, like drones will also be up and spoken, but we all even see, especially in China, it could also be you know some sort of electric bikes or electric motorcycles for smaller goods. Yeah. So that was the, the use case we looked at and, and what we thought about, which the advantage of our concept is now as companies, retail stores lose their ability to present themselves via their corporate identity and the layout and the store and using bricks and mortars to tell people who they are and what they represent. Our view was, well, in the future, they may use a vehicle. They may not want to have a you know car-branded vehicle with a sticker of their company logo on because that's not differentiating. But maybe down the road with this ability to build a completely customized cabin on top of the skateboard, any company could decide to have their own delivery vehicle. So the right. customer doesn't see a, an UPS or a FedEx truck, but also th the companies can express themselves, especially when these cars are in the city and people see them and people understand they work as advertising as well. And have you talked to people like, I mean... Amazon, for we start, we, we don't name any specific companies, of course, at the moment. But yes, we've we've started to talk about them. Right. And then the last case is obviously, you know, people are going to commute and people are going to use self-driving cars to commute. And so these were the three uses that we start with. And you've raised a lot of money. Well, we got uh, some investors that committed to help us <laughs> along the way. So a billion dollars. Well, we are not disclosing the number. It's always funny. I always get asked this question. Okay, I said we have investors that will support us until we launch our first car. And then, of course, people ask, so what's the number? How much does it take? And it's around this number, yes. What does launch mean, though? You are producing the car in a factory and you are starting okay. to retail that to consumers. That's the usual, you know, in the automotive world, we use the start of production. It used to be a, a quite defined what a start of production is, yeah. because that meant really you are actually producing regularly and selling. It's interesting for me to see that some people are defining start of production. They put one car out and then maybe three years later you get the second. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> apparently okay. some there's a lot of that going on. Semantics still. going <laughs> yes. around. But it used to be it used to be it, it, it's a very known and defined target in the auto industries, SOP start of production. Right. And will that be where? Twenty twenty one physically in America or will that be in China? Yeah, we'll start in the U.S. We do want to be a U.S. brand. We will have a factory in the U.S. with a partner. Obviously, we're not, as you know, we're not investing in our own factories. We're, we're negotiating with partners to go into contract manufacturing. But we will start in U.S. What is the key for you guys? The biggest cost, I presume, is still the batteries? Yes. We do believe that electric drive trains will be more expensive for a long, long time. Combustion engine, you know, we invested over 100 years in optimizing the combustion right. engine, right? And I think it's just going to take much longer before we get to cost and performance parity. So that's why we didn't base our business model on that assumption. But the good news is 
the automotive process as a whole, from supply to production to to sales to utilization later, is so broken in so many factors that there's some areas where there's a disruption possibility with significant financial gains. Like to give you an example, the battery sticks will be more expensive. Right. We don't think that there's an opportunity to see a significant cost reduction in batteries. We will see more, but it will be gradually. But it needs to have yeah. in the next 10 years to be competitive with a combustion engine. So there's a, you don't see a trajectory like happened in solar panels, for example, where China just industrialized the hell out of it and prices went down by 90%. Yeah, because the, our analysis is very simple. Mm-hmm. It's only about 18% is the manufacturing of these batteries, 18% of the cost. Of so the, let's of say... Of the finished car. Of the fin- no, no, of the battery. Oh, okay. If I look at our battery pack, it's about 18% of the cost is the manufacturing piece. Right. And on that, of course, you can assume some economies for scale and we get smarter and faster and put more robots to it or whatever else we do. But even if I assume if that halves, it's a 10% reduction, 9% reduction. The other components, which is the materials in the battery, I rather see a forecast increase. If you think about cobalt and its limitations, if you think about lithium, if you think about which countries have substantial reserves on this and which companies, how there's probably going to be also somewhat monopolistic structures in this whole delivery chain, I fail to see that it's going to fall by 50%. So in that sense, of course, there might be a breakthrough in terms of the battery technology itself, that we may use different chemistry in the future and different raw materials. But at the moment, there's nothing we see that, and the world is working on it. And But my view is, okay, let's spend next 100 years optimizing batteries, like right. we spend 100 years optimizing the combustion engine, and then we'll see. Our view is that let's take the cost out of the rest of the business models. Let's live, let's live with higher product cost. Therefore, let's also live with reduced margins because we cannot pass on all this cost to consumers over time. And to be competitive now, let's look at the rest of the process. For example, work with less suppliers, use suppliers that, that provide more overall parts of the car. Let's think about how we change manufacturing, the paint booth is what we've been looking at. How do we avoid painting cars? Because it's very expensive. How do you avoid painting cars? cars? Yeah, that's we have How some good ideas. I will show cars. you when we launch. <laughs> going down, obviously, uh, into sales. Why is that the only industry that maintains brick and mortar structures? You yeah. think this is going to be just all uh, online? Yeah. So if you look at the whole chain, there's so much inefficiency in today that we can easily compensate on a business model basis for the higher cost, product cost. So what's it? So I read this, and I don't know if this is accurate, 50K for the car? Yes, less than, less than. Less than 50K. I think we we think the sweet spot of the market is around the $35,000. Our view is that we have to now provide, and that the world is ripe not to do another high-end sports car, electric, or big SUV electric or big crossover or big sedan, yeah, that I think we have many people that would like to drive an electric car but don't have $70,000 to spend, yeah. right? Yeah. That's why our, our view was we should go in this, this market, the sweet spot of the market in terms of, of pricing. And of course, there's offerings there today, but they tend not to be pure EV. They tend to be combustion engine cars that offer a hybrid option, a diesel option, a gasoline option, and then also offer an electric option. But we believe there will be consumers that want to 
separate themselves and, and show themselves and drive a pure breed EV brand. I mean, I don't know if you've done any thinking around the, the sales model. Obviously, the total cost of ownership, because you're not going to, in California, for example, filling up, you know, 45 bucks every week or whatever yes, it is. Yes, yes, yes. I met the guys at ChargePoint, and they said, you know, it can, it can be as little as free yeah. to charge a car or, you know, five bucks or whatever. Whatever it is. But obviously, it's a higher sticker price. Is there anything, you've, any thinking you've done around how maybe you get creative around selling it so it's more accessible and then you kind of gain it back over time through some other means? Well, of course, and I think that's going to be a big change that we also will see in, in terms of how people are thinking about car ownership and car utilization and models like this. And if you look at our vehicle park in a city, you know, 90% of it is parked. And there's so much capital bound in metal sitting there, rusting away. And it's only because, you know, today mindset is the only way to how I can have on-demand mobility is I own a car. So if you think that thought through, what people really want, and that's why they, they expend so much money, is on-demand, every time, every minute mobility. And of course, there's other ways to provide it with modern technology. We believe that these uh, models are going to evolve and that why do you need to have $50,000 sitting in an asset only because you want to afford yourself on-demand mobility, right? Most of the car companies today obviously have large captive finance companies. I ran once one for BMW, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, know, I know all the deal about that. And in the luxury segment, 70% of the cars are leased. So people have gone already to a monthly payment 7% schedule. 7% are leased. 7% are leased in the high-end luxury. So at the end, these car companies own their own product. So they sell it to a dealer, and the dealer sells it back to the finance company. Right. And that's why these car companies have these huge balance sheets and have to fund it and are funding the assets to convert so you don't have capital bound in a car and you convert it into monthly payment. Yes, around this, there's a lot of modeling you can now do to make an electric vehicle affordable that then includes, you know, yeah. all the things. Funnily enough, I always say, you know, who the best, who had the best car deal in the world was always the employees of car companies. Because, you know, when I was a BMW, yeah. you know, we get a company car and it was fully insured and it was fully taken care of. And we changed this, we switch it out every six months to a year. You know, I would get a new car. And every year, it was every six taken, months. Yeah, it was, it was a program. That is a great deal. Yeah, it was a great deal because, of course, BMW wanted to sell young used cars, two-year-old and three-year-old used cars, but to fill the gap of one-year-old to half-year-old used cars, they used the employee fleets because it was financially very beneficial for the company. And we got insurance, and no matter where I flew in the world, I had a car parked there, and I could use a car from the company. And thing. So funny enough, these car companies treat their employees better than their customers yeah, in terms of what they offer them. And I think this is where the model is going. I think the model is going that you you don't want to have the hassle to have to go and insure your car and register and pay the taxes. And So if we can provide that all, and you just pay a monthly utilization fee, and maybe if at the weekend you need a bigger car because... You know, you're going out with more friends or things like that. You can switch, which as an employee of BMW is what I could do. Why not? I should go work at BMW. It sounds like a good You get a good car deal. I don't know about the rest, but you get a good car deal. <laughs> um, and obviously, you're not from, we're here in Torrance. Yes. In your brand new HQ, which is yes, kind of yes, uh, very much kind of rough and ready right now. Yes. How did you end up here? 
I was always intrigued by the the center of the world in terms of technology and, and what's happening in the world is is uh, really California. I must really say it's it's really unbelievable how this part of the world is is shaping. But you were the world. In, but you were BMW. They're doing. Well, no, I was I was Deutsche right. Bank. After 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 yes, after BMW, I was not in Munich anymore. Yeah, I, right. But still, don't forget, even from Munich. We were always looking, and if if you look at what the biggest thing was in in even my managerial times in Germany, you know we would send all these people all the time to explore what's going on in California, right? And you would have these executive retreats to understand how the internet is going to change the world. And in my mind, in terms of transportation, we are at this next step. The world will address the problem of the daily congestion and the risk and the dirt and the environmental issues and around ground zero in, and, and I exactly and, and so my thought was why don't we just go there and just be part of, of this and it was very intriguing the technology the the ideas that come out of California I think California is the ideal place but to set up a company and getting investors and things like that to do the same thing in Munich is 10 times more difficult, right? More bureaucracy. Why? Yeah, more bureaucracy. It takes slower. It's not as investment friendly. You don't find as many VCs there. You don't find you don't find the people, you know. Also, you have to find the right employees. This is also, you know, not for every employee, the classical corporate employee. They want the safety of yeah. know, a safety net and a, lo- a long-term thing. So it's just much better here. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And so you were at Deutsche Bank till when? End of 2016. 15, 15. And then you came out here and went here, to Faraday. Faraday. Yes. And I know you can't talk Stop. about Faraday because yes. it's... Yeah. The lawsuit, etc. Yeah, and then you started this when? In December of last year. December. So you started it, raised it a lot. And of you money. saw, yeah, and we hired people. Yeah, and you saw that we were well progressed already, right? Yes. So that's what I was going to say. Really so you amazing. guys obviously made a lot of progress very fast yes. because you're talking about five months. Yes, five months for your first car. Yeah, that seems super fast. I must say, if you would have asked me five months ago where we are today. I would have not believed it, yeah. But but I learned something in business that's called momentum. As a leadership team, you have to create momentum. You have to keep going. You have to keep pushing. 
the second benefit, we, we had obviously a core team of people that had worked together. People wanted to do something and people are convinced about it and people believe in our business plan and believe in the view that we have taken. I think people came here and yeah. didn't waste any time and just started. You raise all this money and you're basically, it's a very new concept. What keeps you up at night? honestly ourselves <laughs> because I, I think there will be a big market demand consumers will want this product so it comes down as who's gonna be the best at supplying this type of product i think there's no i've not seen a single forecast that doubts you know we will have a sizable electric car market and then it comes really down it's just getting the job done it's just just getting something out there and getting something also out there that consumers will like we are taking a little bit more of a risk so, of course, to just build a nice SUV that, you know, all of them look like Range Rovers because yeah. Range Rovers is what people like. And when you look at most of the SUVs, it's some form of a copy of a Range Rover. And, of course, that's the easy path to take. Like the easiest thing in the world to do is to build a super sports car, right? So there could be paths that low volume, all low volume markets, all small, you know, all not really relevant. But, of course, we could come out with something like that as well. And that's taking less risk at the beginning. Yeah. But, obviously, in my mind, more risk. Because how do you then turn that proposal into a profitable business? Because I haven't seen many sports cars companies in the world be truly lastingly successful. Yeah. It's a small market. Yeah. And the same on all these SUV and crossover cars. Of course, over time, I think people one day going to wake up and say, while we're driving around with off-road cars in cities. All the material you carry yeah. around, all the weight you carry around. Again, it's a psychological thing, but yeah. uh, because you don't want to be seen in a minivan, but you want to have the space no, of know. a minivan, See, right? All, all, all those SUV <laughs> commercials are just, you know, <laughs> driving <laughs> over rocks and yeah. through ravines, and yes, then it's exactly. really just used for the school run. For cool school runs, right? So you see how the system works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in that sense, yeah, we're taking a little bit more of a risk. So will we find consumer acceptance with what we're doing? We believe so, but it is a risk. And is the idea to become like a... I mean, do you have a production figure in mind? I mean, where does it... Well, we have a very realistic business plan in the first round with our first cars. We're not exactly disclosing any numbers, but we don't have any ambitious plans in the sense of volume. We, we think that our market will be mega cities of the world, so we don't think so much about countries. Yeah, We don't think our product will be you know, a good product for being out on a farm in the Midwest or being out in Australia in the middle of of the lands there, this makes no, yeah, it's it's not built for that. Our car is built for mega cities. So we see about 30 to maybe 50 mega cities in the world that will be at the end of our market, which makes our exercise also much doable. And 30 then, to 50. Yeah, 30 to 50. Well, what's a mega city? 10 million people, 5 million? 10 million, maybe some of in Europe, they're a little bit smaller. Yeah. And these uh, cities are the ones who are looking at selling and setting up for sales, which makes our sales effort also more doable because it's very focused. It's a realistic plan. It's it's We lose about 20% of the EV market that is not urban, but we give up that in order to be more focused in just right. doing cities. And what's the range? 
we're targeting about 250 miles range. It's what we believe that uh, that is okay. We we believe that, of course, at the beginning, it was kind of amended because range anxiety was yeah. what was driving this market. So that at the beginning, we saw this big power packs and ever growing and ever bigging made sense because you were addressing range anxiety. We think by the time we come out, charging networks are well developed. So I don't think the main driver will range. And we think with... 250 miles you have plenty for a week of commuting and yeah. for what you normally need so there's a lot of companies that are trying this in one form or another zoom and byton and yeah Faraday many, many yeah. why are you guys gonna succeed where all these others seem to have had big problems Well, to start with, I, I think I think like at the you know in the combustion when the combustion engine age started, we had thousands of car companies. Go Google defunct American car brands, and you'll be surprised how long that list is. Yeah. yeah. So how are you going to be? And at the, when, and at the beginning, Google, and at the beginning, years from now, we're and, all in a hundred years from now, there might be yeah. 30 left, and then we might have been a consolidator, or we might have been consolidated <laughs> away. That's fair, and that's how industries developed, right? Yeah. So, so I'm not, I'm like zero concerned. The market is big, and I think it's actually good that there will be more offerings. In America, at the end, let, if, let's be honest, we have three combustion engine companies. They're perceived because you're, even if you drive a sub-brand, you still perceive that you're driving yeah, a GM, Ford, and Fiat Chrysler, yeah. right? With Tesla, we have the first addition to the American brand landscape in a long, long time, right? And it's yeah. a big market. And why shouldn't this market, like other markets, have more brands? And the interesting part that I only see looking and reading what most of these electric car companies are thinking about, obviously they're so worried to be out there first and, and yeah. be there out there now and things like that. They never think about, okay, we get to the start line, but then we have to compete. And do we really have a product that can compete then? And is it a product that's relevant to lots of people then? And I think that's where very often the analysis of, of the companies that I'm familiar with fails. They're so worried to get there to the start line first. Okay, you run first, but if your product is limited audience and it's a $150,000 price and things like that, how long will you be able to run? What we're looking at is what product will be competitive in the market. And honestly, I think there will be many successful people. I think that's fine. And then this industry over the next 100 years will consolidate as well. Right. And that's what happens to most industries. And a brand that I'm still familiar with because I sat once in, in my young was Studebaker. Studebaker was bigger. Studebaker was yeah. a company was bigger than Ford. Was it? Yes. Had 80-year tradition and disappeared. So there's big companies that make it to success and there's smaller companies that disappear. Happens all across, right? If you look at the story of BMW, it was bankrupt in 1959, right? It was gone. And today it's a powerhouse in the auto industry. So I think that's what happens to companies. And I think at the end of the day, it always comes down to, are you pro uh, producing a product that consumers really want? As well, it's really interesting because you're at BMW, which is one of the biggest established yeah. brands in the world. Yeah. And then you went to Deutsche Bank, one of the yeah. biggest established Financial. brands in the world. And now you're in this modest office, let's yes. say, in, <laughs> in Torrance, trying to do do something entirely different, do a startup. Yeah. Is this uncomfortable? Not at all, no. Because the truth is, in, in these companies, uh, the part of the job that I always enjoyed most was really building startups inside. 
My first one was, you know, when, when I came with BMW to the United States for the first time, I was part of the team that built the captive finance company. We started with 15 people. We had an office that was undeveloped or Where were you? with lots of in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did you have a spray and painted sign out front like you do now? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. No, we had to we had to adhere to corporate corporate guidelines, <laughs> yeah, of, of course. course. Otherwise they but at the beginning it was it, it was the same, you know. I, I remember we started and and I even remember the first six months because we didn't have any accounting systems. We were running all these leases and loans on Excel spreadsheets and all of that. So so I was familiar. So that was the, the, the first time I was involved in, in like an internal startup. And then I got heavily involved in the launch of the mini brand and relaunch, which also was an, an, a new team at my BMW Times. And then when we bought the Rolls-Royce brand, and you know, and I was very involved then with Rolls-Royce and, and was similar, you know, you just CEO. had a brand and for temporary for a CEO <laughs> involved in that. And then in my Deutsche Bank time, the fun project was, you know, so we repossessed the Cosmopolitan Casino in Las Vegas and we took Where over a structure of a building, yeah. And the city of Las Vegas wanted us to finish, so I didn't duck away fast enough. We were four members of the board at that time, and one had to take over this construction. So I had this uh, startup also. I hired the management team in the Cosmopolitan. So we built did the casino. design. So we built a casino, which is not so dissimilar from an investment bank, <laughs> in, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> in terms of in terms of what happens uh, what happens in in a casino. Initially, we thought it's going to be an easy task, and it turned out to be a little bit more of a complex task because obviously, you know, was the time of the crisis and casinos so did in you Las move Vegas. To Vegas or were you doing that? No, no, we are doing. I was doing it from Frankfurt. So. I've been in this kind of starting business uh, situations. I don't feel uncomfortable at all. To be honest, you know, I was uh, in total 15 years CFO of a blue chip company in Germany. It's just tired. Quarterly reports, you know, AGMs, politics, yeah. and things like that. So, so actually, this feels really good. And right when now. were you, what were the years you were at Deutsche? I was hired in 2007 when they promised that everything is going to go out. Oh, so right before things. the proverbial hit yeah. the fan. First of April, so full stay, I started at Deutsche Bank <laughs> as, as a group. Right. And I there was an overlap period with the previous CFO. And I, my official start day as CFO was the 1st of October of 2008. And then right after and was then, that Lehman Brothers was right was before right, right, after. right after, I think right after right, right yeah. shortly after and then obviously I was now this young new CFO to the bank and I had to report the first loss in like how many years of history of Deutsche Bank because obviously in December we had to take the first round of big write-offs yeah from there obviously I really appreciate because so far in my career before the Deutsche Bank has been you know to work at BMW it's kind of sunny weather sailing right it's it's like yeah it, it's at bmw was a catastrophe if we didn't grow by five percent we only yeah. grew by four percent right then it was like something is wrong with our yeah. company and all of a sudden now you really see what what a crisis looks like and what a company in trouble looks like and it was scary you know we were in december we lost nine billion we you know the capital of the bank wasn't so big at that time it was hugely leveraged yeah uh, the balance sheet at the peak uh, was uh, 2.4 trillion euros. It was a huge balance sheet. Uh, it's about uh, you know three trillion dollars in in the peak yeah. times, right? We had a derivatives book of 54 trillion dollars. It was, it was 54 a big trillion. trillion. 
derivatives, now in Notion, a value book. And we had to risk manage all of this. But on the other hand, it was super interesting because we really had to, to survive the bank through the crisis and we had to help the bank develop yeah. and it was challenging. So that's why I'm, I'm not so worried about big numbers and I'm not so worried about <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah. And is the brand that you're selling here... Is it E-Velocity? Is no, that the brand? No, no. That's, right. that's a company name. We needed to register I was going to say, that's a bit of a name. mouthful. It's, for it's a mouthful. It's a, think about yourself. You have to trademark a name. You have to obviously get your website and, and your yeah. .com. You want to be a .com and not a dot .something else, right? So you're not going to be taken serious and things like that. And there's not many le names left. So we had to kind of work get creative. Smith, uh, creative <laughs> get, get a little bit creative. Turns out that maybe it's a little bit because obviously as I was raised in, and I grew up in, in Colombia and South America, my mother tongue is Spanish, right? Veloz, really? yeah, Veloz is uh, is fast. Spanish, fast Spanish, and E Veloz, so we get the E V in and city because we we are in the city. Right. So that was the, the brilliant creation after a bottle of red wine, and then we found out that we can still register this, and nobody has taken the name, and so we were not interested in paying somebody a lot of right. money for for a name. We of course will develop a brand, and we actually have started to work with an agency out of New York to develop our car brand and, and we, we will take time and have the, the right approach right. and then we will eventually change obviously and use the, the gotcha. brand for this so so this is something because you can imagine especially our friends in China they with our name it's a little bit of a yeah. of a difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. word to think I know but it's fun time. I think a velocity is fun and many people have started to like it it's well, playing I, on I, electricity I looked at it initially I was like I don't know how to say that word that word yes <laughs> <laughs> which is good by the way which you always learn that's very good you, because you don't want to make it too easy right and it interests you is more yeah for people think about it twice. Otherwise, you right. say it and you forget it. Do you think, coming from the old world of cars, do you have a sense that BMW may be different from other companies, but the Detroit slash Frankfurt or slash Munich, what is the perception of electric cars, that evolution? Do they see the end of the internal combustion engine coming after, as you say, 100 years, and this is really the future, or is this just, this will be a nice little niche and it'll be fine and it's not a really big threat? I just read in for the Geneva Auto Show. I read one of the there was some questionnaire done again about this whole electric topic, and it said fifty four percent of the managers of existing OEMs still think this is not going to happen. It's very just interesting. don't think it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. The electric is not going to be a broad right. accepted. Right. means of transportation and obviously the main argument is cost then there's this big topic what are we going to do with all these used batteries and are we creating pollution around right. it and then the, of course they, they feel you know f for a time we all believe that one day we're going to be there and there's going to be no oil left and nobody's going to be able to drive around so that has also kind of disappeared a little bit that fear right yeah. from a business point of view there's nothing wrong with this business right now I actually believe the combustion age will, will exist for a long time. So the urgency of change is not there as much, right? I think it's also very difficult, you know, and I give you all of this simple mental exercise that I lived as in BMW. And I was a CFO of BMW. We had an innovative product in the making, which was environmentally friendly, which was the hydrogen car. We burned hydrogen instead of burning gasoline in that and car exhaust because exhaust water came water, yeah. right? And we had solved the technical problem with the tank and the cooling and things like that. 
we invested a substantial amount of money in this. And of course, our shareholders and our advisory board one day started asking questions. Why are you doing this? And that's this innovator's dilemma always, right? You have a good running business. You know, analysts and capital markets want your margin to increase. They don't want to see you decreasing margin. So a little mental exercise I do is, let's assume Tesla would have been a subsidiary of BMW. How long would have that survived, right? The management team would have been fired by now after this cash burn, right? Mm -hmm. The margins would have been deteriorated. Our system is not developed to then give BMW 50 billion more in market cap because that's how it works, right? Tesla could generate it on their own. As a subsidiary of BMW, this would have never worked. And that only describes you the dilemma these companies are in. If they go down decisively down the path of electrification, their margins will deteriorate. There's no way around this, right? And capital markets pressure will increase and management teams will be fired. So it's just not a good option for them. So as long as we can keep the combustion engine going, and it will. Nobody's forecasting a disappearance. It's not like MP3 files and, you know, CDs or, you know, photography is gone because we're all going digital now, yeah? It's not that type of forecast. So I think there's no urgency to do this change. And that's why I don't think the generation that's currently running these companies is really going to be 100% behind it, which... By the way, I like. You know, it's yeah, good yeah, for of us. Course, right? of course. It gives us an opportunity, an edge, because our, our financial model is a different. We will be able to live with a different margin structure because we will set our business up in a different manner, right? And we'll save costs elsewhere so we can afford higher product costs. And that's why I think it's it's a classical innovator's dilemma, you know, these companies to, to really decisively go. Just before you go, you grew up in Colombia? I grew up in Colombia, yeah. I was Did born and raised in Colombia. Where? In Bogota, and I went to the German school there. Why were you in Bogota? My, my dad was a Volkswagen importer in Colombia. That's how he oh. came. He came to to Colombia, and yeah, and that's why I, I grew up. So I, I lived all the Pablo Escobar age, and you I were lived there. It. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> I never got to meet him personally, but I was there in the FARC times and the M19 times. And so the how security. long did you stay there? From birth to 18. And then went to uni in Europe. And then I went to study in, in Germany, yes. Right. Sure, you have some it was stories. super interesting. Yeah, there's yeah. Some, some nice stories to, to tell. It was an <laughs> interesting time. That's nice for country. another podcast, I think. Yes, I think yeah. so. <laughs> Thanks very much. No, thank you. Right. Appreciate it. Cheers. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Stefan for taking the time, as well as Richard for showing me his very funky, cool-looking car, which I'm not going to talk about. And thank you for listening. As always, I'll make my usual pleadings. Stop into Apple Podcasts, give a rating and review. It really does help. If you enjoy the show, take a second and do that. It helps other people find it. So that's always greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear more about the company, I've also written a story in this weekend's Sunday Times. So check that out. That's in the paper or online at thetimes.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson and on the electronic mail at danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk if you have suggestions of companies or subjects you want to hear about, people I should meet or bring on the show, I'm all ears. Anyway, until next week, I leave you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, 
is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.